This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Many times when men and women come back from fighting overseas for our country, they have a tough time assimilating back into the United States. Well, the Foundation for Exceptional Warriors, or FEW, is a new foundation that's in place trying to help the assimilation process become easier for these men and women who risk their lives to defend ours. With outdoor activities, including hunting and fishing, there are trips that are taken all over the world to help these folks become better citizens once they return from war. Brad Burkhardt is a part of FEW, and he joins me on the latest KC Bobcast. It seems like every day we're finding more and more veterans and, and guys who serve the country not only are coming back to the United States with injuries, Brad, but they're coming back to the United States with, with nowhere to go and nothing to do. and They don't know what to do. And you guys, the, the Foundation for Exceptional Warriors, are trying to help in that to, to kind of move guys forward to assimilate them back into the, in, into the country in a normal way, huh? Yeah, that, that's correct, Bob. The, uh, <clears throat> the operations tempo or uh, the, the frequency and the length of these deployments um, have really increased since 9-11. The Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom, these uh, special operations warriors who, who we target, um, they're gone six months and back two months, gone six months and back two months. So the uh, Operation Temple has climbed um, remarkably and uh, assimilating back into a civilian life, whether it be retirement or simply getting out of the military or being medically retired, is um, it's a very difficult transition for some of our special operations and uh, combat warriors. Why, why is it so hard for guys to, to come back to the United States and really get assimilated back? Because I, I was watching a lot of the videos on your website, and to me I felt like, boy, I'm watching guys like, you know, they always talk about leaving jail and trying to re, you know, you know, kind of get back into society. And I felt like I was watching some of that with veterans. I'm like, that shouldn't be the case for guys who are out here risking their lives. And they've got to come back and basically reassimilate themselves at such a disadvantage. They, they do. And, and, and some, some have an easier time than others. Um, but the combat wounded warriors and the special operations warriors, that's our focus. The guys that have been engaged in really heavy combat and, and, and have seen and done a lot of things that uh, you, you generally don't want to have to see and um, mm-hmm. and you, you get a certain amount of camaraderie with that particular group that you deploy with and so you you get into a mindset of the warrior ethos the warrior mindset the uh, combat fight or flight and it's very difficult to come back and and turn that off for several soldiers and 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 when you lose that sense of warrior and you lose that sense of camaraderie and you come back it's very difficult because civilian life isn't the same um, you, you we operate so much differently than civilians do that it's just really a struggle for some guys, um, and and that's what we try to target to reduce those stats you always hear of the twenty two a day and, and those sorts. Because mm-hmm. the, these these soldiers are coming back and self medicating and 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 depression and anxiety and post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, it's just it's 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 mind boggling the things that these guys have to deal with. So so what do guys experiencing when they go to Afghanistan when they go to Iraq? Like what's a typical tour like for those guys that make it so difficult to come back to the United States and kind of be normal again? Well, I can tell you from my experience, um, I don't want to speak on anybody else's behalf, but I did work with some of the special operations um warriors in uh, Afghanistan doing the counter IED fight which is um looking for roadside bombs and and that sort of thing. 
a typical day for us would be, you know, we, we'd have a 10 or 12 vehicle convoy, um, and we would go look for IEDs. And, and the reason we were clearing the routes is, you know, logistically things have to get from point A to point B, and that has to be a safe route. And so a typical day for my platoon, would we would leave, and we would have intelligence from human intelligence and, and local intelligence about possible IEDs or, or um, ambush sites. But we'd go out and... and it never fails, you know. On occasion, you get hit by an IED, and um, so you have to recover your vehicle. You have to recover your personnel, medevac, and generally during that period is when you would get attacked by small arms fire. I um, other IEDs possibly that are secondary devices, um, small arms fire, rocket propelled grenades, and so that that's literally a typical day in route clearance and, and combat operations in Afghanistan. And the hardest part is you're not fighting a uniformed enemy. They're, they're dressed in civilian clothes and it's hard to um, determine what's, what's good and what's bad, who's right and what's wrong. So what was it like for you when you came back? What was your, your immediate, like, you know, uh, time like in, in, in the States when you came back from all of that? You know, when I came home, um, I had ran, a, I was a platoon sergeant. I ran a platoon in um, the East part of Afghanistan and I was used to, Taking care of 40 guys, I was used to making sure, you know, burning the midnight oil, making sure that my vehicles were running, my men were taken care of. I had plenty of um, logistical support through ammunition and food and water and, and all these other things. So my mind was constantly working like a, like a father figure for all these guys. And um, it was just, and it was very, I was very anxious, very high strung. And to come home to my, you know, to my wife. And a quiet home, uh, it was very difficult. I, I, I had to find things to do to keep my mind running because the adrenaline junkie theory is, is legitimate. I came home, and I, I, I'm not going to say I felt bored with my family, but there was I, I needed something to fill that gap. So, so what did you end up finding to fill that gap? You know, well, I, I went back to work, and I was medically retired, unfortunately, just a few years later due to an injury um, from an IED blast. But... You know, I was a recruiter for a while in the Army, so I, I got into sales, medical sales, and I became a, a national sales director, and, and I traveled a lot and, and got to speak on um, some really cool medical products and equipment. So it kept me engaged, and I was working with the military field. Um, so I, I got to put my hands back in the military fold a little bit by, by discussing these really cool products that are useful to the Department of Defense and armies worldwide. I mean, I would train the german army on some of these products and i'd go to dubai and places like that but i felt still attached but that's what i did at first and now you're involved with with few foundations for exceptional warriors and this is a program that that i think is pretty cool because it helps guys kind of get a normal life using outdoor activities and sport and that kind of stuff to kind of you know move them forward and help them out a little bit how did you get involved with these guys i'll be honest with you i want to say it was four or five years ago um one of the uh co-founders or one of the board members um invited me to an event in oklahoma um it's a it's an annual event in venita oklahoma at trails and sanctuary um called warrior weekend and it's a dove hunts you know uh skeet shoot kind of event and um just great fellowship and i got to meet one of the co-founders his name is ronnie swager he's a former special operations um warrior that was uh, retired medically for some of the same reasons that i discussed earlier and I got to sit down and talk to Ronnie, and, and I, I was just amazed by his foundation. I was amazed at how it made me feel because I, was, I wasn't in a really dark place, but I was in a place where I was really wanting and needing something. And um, it really was a turning point in my life. And I asked right then and there, I said, hey, look, I'm a functional veteran. Um, uh, what can I do to get involved? And, and so I did. And ever since then, I've been helping you know, fundraise, find warriors for events, try to coordinate events. And, and now here we are. Um, the fundraiser is held in Kansas City. And... Um, 
the foundation's out of Bixby, Oklahoma, so I feel really proud as a Kansas Cityan to have it right here in this awesome city of ours who supports everything from our chiefs to royals to, to veterans. It's mm-hmm. a great community. So so what is the fundraiser? It's coming up on February 29th, and we'll get more into that, but since you brought it up, what is the fundraiser going to be, and, and, and what are you guys looking to do? Well, the fundraiser, uh, this will be our fourth year with Bob's Family Fund Center in um, Belton, Missouri. Uh, the very first year, I think we raised about 17000 The second year was 38000 and last year we raised forty-eight thousand, almost fifty thousand, um, and so our our goal is we don't have a giant operating budget, Bob, because ninety-six cents of every dollar that's donated to the few goes to our warriors for these events. And these events range from this summer we went uh, stag hunting in New Zealand. We've had elk hunts in Utah. We do offshore fishing in Belize, um, the Outer Banks, North Carolina, goose hunts everywhere, bird hunts, boat fish, you name it. And these uh, this fundraiser counts for almost a third of our annual budget, maybe a little more, probably closer to 40%, 45%. And so uh, by hosting this event, um, it really allows us to have the budget we need to take care of warriors. And, and just last year with that with that money we raised here in Kansas City, we were able to put over 400 warriors on these events last year, which is which is a record for us. That, that's pretty big. I mean, you know, th- these events sound really cool as well. So how do these events and, and being with other warriors help guys out? What does that do for them? So, for instance, let's let's say, uh, and we focus just for the record on on special operations warriors, combat wounded warriors, i.e., those with Purple Hearts, um, former POWs, and anyone awarded for valor in combat. So that's our target audience, mm-hmm. just for the record. Um, again, we talked about the op tempo, the anxiety, the brotherhood, um, and you see and do things with these men and women that most people don't see and they shouldn't see, quite frankly. And again, we talk about the assimilation when we come back. It's a little different. You you don't have you can't relate your story to something. You can tell someone about what you did, but they don't understand it. They'll listen, but they don't understand. So we get those groups that do understand each other. These other men and women that have these same experiences, and so we we bring them together. And it's all cost free for these guys. We fly them to New Zealand. We fly them to Utah. We pay for their tags. We pay for all this stuff, and it's through the help of these donors and. Um, so these events just, you know, we, we have these events, so we hunt, we fish, but we get around these big tables and these awesome lodges, these amazing hosts that we have that we're blessed to have, like Two Hats Ranch in Minnesota and Trails and Sanctuary in Oklahoma. But when the day is, when the sun sets, we all sit around a campfire. We all sit around a table and have a cold beer and, and just we talk it out. We express and and, and talk about feelings and, and things we've experienced, and we all have a like mind, so you feel like you belong again to a community. And so it brings us all back together. It gives us all a little bit of hope that we're not alone in this um, weird transition and assimilation process. You know, when, when you said you can listen but you don't understand, it's exactly, you nailed me on that one. Because I was listening to you talk about some of the stuff in Afghanistan before we started to record, and I'm listening. But I'm not understanding a lot of this. I'm not understanding how these bombs operate or how you guys detect these bombs or how you guys find these things. And I'm sure it's like anything, like you're to that point where it's past explanation because you just know how it's done and that's it. And if you can talk to people that have that those same experiences, it just makes things a lot easier. I mean, like I know you go home and you talk to your wife about work or something like that. And she doesn't get it. But if you talk to people at work about it, they understand kind of what you're going through and what you're dealing with. So I, it totally resonated for me when you said that because I'm listening. I'm, I'm finding it to be fascinating, but I'm like, I have no idea how they did anything. Like how how you got anything accomplished? Yeah, and I, well, I appreciate that, Bob. And uh, I'll tell you what, you know, these warriors, uh, we do focus on our warriors, but as you well know, just like you you mentioned, um, I have to kind of play off what you said. These warriors are married. 
they have girlfriends, they have children, they have families. And so um, it's, it's tough to assimilate back into a family unit, too. Um, we always talk about when you come back, you know, when I was gone for a year, my wife ran everything. She paid the bills. She mowed the lawn. She changed the oil. She took care of the kids. I mean, that's just how it worked. Mm-hmm. And we always try to brief our soldiers coming back home. Don't try to reestablish a chain of command. You know, you, that transition from letting, you know, from your, your wife or your spouse or girlfriend running everything, that's another transition. You have to come back and not just take right over, but, you, you know, work that out 50-50 and kind of spread the, the redistribution of responsibility again. And uh, But that being said, we also focus on families. We have family events. We have couples-only events, quite frankly. Um, I'm lucky enough this year to get to go down to Dauphin Island with my kids. We're going to go down to uh, Alabama for a week and spend a family uh, week down there. And so we don't just focus on our warriors. We also focus on those families because they have to deal with the transition as well. The wives and kids have to understand and get back to normal too, which is not easy. I was going to ask you how difficult it is for the other side because we talk about the warriors, but then you've got your wife who's had a year without you there and kids who have had a year without How difficult is for them to kind of get you back into the fold? You know, the thing is, you know, my, my, uh, my wife was, uh, every time, you know, the phone would ring. I was gone. I didn't get to talk to her all the time. Very, very rare. And we would talk on Skype. But there was times I'd be gone for 10 or 12 days running these particular missions, and, and I wouldn't have any way to contact her. And, and she would always say when the phone would ring, when the doorbell would ring, when someone knocked on the door, just a, a just anxiety came like flushing through because she had no idea. And um, that's the same with children. And, and luckily now with this digital age we have, we're able to Skype and video call so you can kind of keep face-to-face touch. But it's difficult on them, and it's very, very difficult. You know, you, you mentioned that the, the uh, FEW Foundation deals with POWs, Purple Heart, Special Ops guys. You've obviously met a lot of these guys. You were involved in it yourself. What are some of the coolest stories that you found from some of these guys that they've been through and stuff that they've shared with you? I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll, most of the stories are just uh, stories of what we would call like a common heroism. Like we, we People always say, oh, these guys are heroes. They're coming back from Afghanistan. Heroism to... to this community that we try to focus on is is just making sure that the guy you're left and right making home that's heroism if you do something selfless or sacrificial to to help the guy you're left or right or in front of you and back that's that's what we are that's what we consider heroes taking care of each other um the the hero moniker you know guys that don't generally like that just because you know we don't feel like we're heroes you know just like you know you're a phenomenal radio host that's what you get paid to do you're good at it that's your job we were soldiers and that's what we did and we we found it at our job we didn't see it anything other than a job quite frankly and taking care of our soldiers so that's kind of the the breakdown so so you you don't realize that you guys are heroes that you you guys don't accept that or you guys don't want to accept that because it is different than another job like you're out there protecting people and people don't even know that you're out there protecting people and every day that you go to work you're protecting someone and if you don't go to work that day Oh my God! Something may happen, and you may not be able to protect somebody. I don't show up to work one day, so somebody doesn't hear about the Royals. You know, it's it, it's like what you guys are doing is in a different stratosphere, and, and I feel like, you know, like like I'll, I'll use Dayton Moore as an example. I I talked to him after they won the World Series about a year later. I said, "Do you realize the impact that you had?" And he goes, "No, nah, I don't really think I realized the impact that we had on Kansas City by winning that World Championship, not just from a baseball perspective, but from a life perspective, right?" I feel like you guys are kind of in that same boat. Like, you don't realize the impact you're having every day on us, and we don't realize the impact you're having on us either. Well, I, I appreciate your comments, Bob. And for the record, when you do take a day off, I just turn on Spotify. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, 
honestly, in the warrior community, the people that we consider heroes are the are the are the men and women that um, that don't make it home. Um, you know, ironically, you know, you have you've always heard the have you heard the term medevac before? Mm-hmm. Quite, you know, honestly, it's a medical evacua- evacuation. But we also have hero flights, and so hero flights are a separate bird, a separate helicopter, a separate flight status for soldiers that have lost their lives, and so they're called hero flights for a reason. And we consider heroes the ones that don't make it back, the ones that gave it all, the ultimate sacrifice to save that gentleman to their left or right, or that that woman to the left or right. So that's that's who we think are heroes. We appreciate um, being called heroes. But we truly believe that the heroes are the ones that gave it all and, and didn't make it home. Yeah, and I can understand that from your guys' bicep. But you're all heroes. Everybody who, who serves and, and protects the United States is a, is a hero in my eyes. Because I've always told people, I said, I, I don't have the balls to do it. I mean, I, quite honestly, I'm, I'm not tough enough to do what you guys did. Wow, well, thank you for that, Bob. I'm, I'm sure we could get you spun up on it. I'm sure we could get you there. But I like to go up in a plane and come back down and call it good. Like I'd fly to B2 or something like that. But like going to combat, going through basic training, like all of that kind of stuff, just to, to me, it just that that's not in me to do that. And, and I don't know if it's being selfish or what, but like I don't, I don't, I'm not wired that way like you are. Right. It's, it's not for everybody. I'll be honest with you, but I'd, I'd say it was the greatest 20 years of my life. I enjoyed it. And, um, if I wasn't medically retired, I would hope to think I would still be in today. You know, I'm still halfway in shape. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no, I would still be in it. Um, I enjoyed it that much. I just miss wearing the uniform and I miss that camaraderie every day. All right. Let's talk more about few and, and this concept. How did this concept develop that this was a way to start rewarding veterans? You know, again, I'll, I'll mention Ronnie Swager, um, one of the co-founders. He's from Bixby, Oklahoma. Again, he's a special operations warrior that was medically retired. Um, you know, he, he, he is very versed in the special operations community and, and he could probably speak to more of that than I could, but the, the special operations, um, warrior community is nonstop. It's, there's no breaks. When you, when you're not deployed, you're training for the next deployment and those are very short windows in between. And they see and do a lot of things that even a soldier like myself wouldn't have, like a, what we would call a, just a regular everyday combat soldier. These guys go above and beyond and are highly trained, and they see a lot more and do a lot more things than, than I can even speak on here just because of the classification of it. But um, they they struggle mightily. Um, that's a different community, a military community. They live by their own rules. They don't live by the same rules as an everyday soldier, and they 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 have access to many more things, and but they also have to do many more things, and so... They were seeing a high suicide rate. They were seeing a high um, substance abuse and dependency rate. Mm-hmm. And and Ronnie and the other co-founders thought, hey, there's this, let's do something. Let's bring this together. And and quite frankly, on the majority side, um, military veterans are outdoorsy type of people, obviously. Um, we like to hunt and fish and, and do those kinds of things. And so um, he just thought this is a great way to do it. We can bring people together, um, sit amongst each other around a campfire and discuss these things and and listen, there's, I'm not saying we don't sit around a campfire and some tears don't roll. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and say that never happens because it do. We, we go to these events and we just flush some things. And it's healthy to do that. And so we do that, and that's kind of our like mind to get rid of this 22-a-day moniker and, and lower those rates and, and reduce statistics in the veteran community. And the 22-a-day is how many veterans are, are losing their lives, taking their own lives once they come back. Yes, on average. That's, that's kind of a, 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 a stat that, that you hear thrown around a lot. But that's fairly accurate. And that's active duty retiree and, and, and you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Any, any number for any job, that's unfortunate. But specifically for veterans as a veteran, I think it's just sad and, and unfortunate. And so we're trying to change that. How many, how many lives do you think you've saved by, by having this program in place? You know, I, I don't, I don't know how many I can say we saved. I, I have to say that it, it, 
it certainly curved my life because I, again, I was I was going down a path of, of a little bit of self pity and self medication myself. I I struggled with some things and um and substance abuse being one of them. I was I was I didn't go and get the care I needed for for like PTSD because I didn't think I needed it. Mm-hmm. And um I went down that that kind of path for a little bit and um, I had to be reeled in and a few helped me re- get reeled in and it's uh it's been a it's been a great ride ever since. So what what did the program do for you? How did it make a difference in your life? Well, I came I came home and I retired very shortly after my last deployment, and I went into medical sales again. And I was just I just I, I hung up my uniform and put a suit on, and I felt alone because I would go to these meetings and I traveled all the time, and I was getting to meet these guys, but I I, I didn't work with people that that understood what I had been in, and um, I just I felt alone. I mean, quite honestly, I felt alone. I couldn't talk to anybody that understood mm-hmm. exactly like you were talking, like actually comprehending what we did and. And being able to understand and give feedback and 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 things like that to to help me feel better. And so I went to this event and I was like, oh my gosh, these guys are just like me. They know what I'm talking about. And it was, I could vent to them and they could vent back to me. And you can hug it out. I mean, quite frankly, and just it's just a great experience. And and you know that that's the the other thing. It's not necessarily understanding you what you went through, but what, what, understanding what you're going through right now. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people and mental health has come a long way in the last decade or so. You know, and and. But I'm sure there were people that would just look at you and go, well, just get over it. You're back now. Everything's fine. You know, and, and, you know, you're watching people die. You're watching enemies die. You're watching people close to you die. You're seeing death all around you. Like, it can't be an easy thing to just forget about all of that stuff. No. And, and listen, you try, make, make, make no mistake. But the problem is, you know, when you close your eyes at night, your mind wanders. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know a lot myself. I have night tremors and, and really bad nightmares and, uh, and it's just things that are burned into your, your conscience from things you've seen and done. And, and that's just human nature. That's just natural. But it is unfortunate, and and these guys that are suffering from this stuff, they they find ways to treat that aren't healthy, and um, that's where we also try to help that as well. We try to, you know, if we see a a, a high probability, you know, malfunction, if you will, or, or a problem, or see somebody leaning towards doing something and medicating the wrong way, we try to help them, you know, find them a program or invite them on another. We actually, ask, we ask everyone that comes to get involved. Mm-hmm. Say, you like it here? Be part of the few, and so. We recruit at the same time. So uh, on February 29th, you guys are doing a fundraiser. Your goal is maybe $50,000. You don't really have a huge goal in mind or anything like that. You just want to make some money to help these guys out. What do you want to do with that money? What's the goal with that money then to provide for? That money, Bob, will will allow – Let's okay, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's, let's just say we, we have several people that we put in that are mobility um, impaired. What I mean by that is they're in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. You know, This will allow us – this kind of money will allow us to – We've actually had pontoons that were modified to take guys out fishing that have we paid to have a ramp put on a, a pontoon. We have a gentleman that um, by the name of Brad Soden who makes a tank chair. It's a it's a tracked vehicle that will go anywhere with a with someone in a wheelchair. It's literally like a tank, and it will take them. So those cost money. We we have tank chairs. We have all these things. But also for for example, we hunted in New Zealand this summer. Took you know we went on this amazing stag hunt. My gosh. South Safari, South Safari Unlimited, Safari Unlimited just had a phenomenal hunt for us. But that buys an airline ticket. That buys uh, an international tag. That buys processing and mounting of the of the um, um, the animal. It also helps us provide other opportunities as far as um, like these family events and and because and, families struggle too. So mm-hmm. all that money goes to the the warrior community. It goes to these events. You know, we we pay for hosts. We pay for these these. Um, events and and all that money, every cent that goes to us, 
um, just go straight to the Warriors for all these events. Travel, time, family stuff, uh, hotels, lodging, you name it. So how can people get involved on the 29th or maybe they want to write a check and they want to do something, you know? Listen, you, anyone can get involved, and you can get involved by checking out our website at www.exceptionalwarriors.org. We also have a Facebook page. Um, we can even You can even go, go on Amazon, and uh, they have this Amazon donations where every time you buy something, it'll round up a dollar or, or whatever the case may be and donate. You can donate through Amazon. You can call our website. You can, we have a phone number. You can donate through the website. There's links. Um, any, you can donate, and you can come out, come out to the, uh, the event. So at the event... You know, here we are, fresh off a Super Bowl win, mm-hmm. and uh, we have tons of, of uh, autograph merchandise. Kelsey, Hill, um, Mahomes, with tons of Royals memorabilia. We have tons. It's all sports, lots of sports-based stuff. But, you know, just phenomenal stuff. Like last year, we had um, an MVP. Um, right at the last second, Patrick Mahomes signed an MVP helmet for us, and that, that fetched, I think, $1,500. So it's just amazing the the things, the memorabilia, and the guys come from all over the country. We have guys from Minnesota and Texas that come up for this event, and they just they spend their own money to come up, and they just spend they just come up and blow money on the silent auction, the raffle. It's amazing. We have guys that just just come out and, and just support us like like it's just unbelievable. And February 29th is the date. Where's it going to be? It's going to be at Aaron's Family Fun Center in Belton, right off 58. It's at one o'clock. Um, on a Saturday, come on out because anybody can come in and 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 uh, uh, do the live auction. Anybody mm-hmm. can come in and buy raffle tickets. Just come out and have a cold beer and shake our hand and let us introduce you to the few. You know, we'll, the beer's on us. So, uh, yeah, come on out. We'd be happy to have you. I find it pretty impressive not only what the great men and women of the military do for our country, but what happens to them when they come back to the United States and how many plans are in place to help them make that transition a lot easier. Don't forget, February 29th is their big fundraiser. If you have some time, stop by and lend a hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.